what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. As much as we try to be stoic and whatever, like we are human and we are dealing with these types of challenges on a daily basis and we try to employ the most empathy that we can and also make choices that are right for the business, but also choices that are right for the human. Welcome back to Meet Bridget, a show that dives into the often untold teenage and young adult experiences of successful women from all types of backgrounds and in all sorts of careers. This show is an extension of Bridget, a confidence coaching service for young women. I am Asha Gabriel, and I co-host this show alongside my best friend, Kashia Rosenberg. Today, we have our very first double guest interview. I'm so excited to introduce the female co-founders of personalized curated gift box company, BoxFox, Chelsea Moore Shannon, the CEO, and Jenny Olivero, COO. Chelsea and Jenny co-founded BoxFox in 2014 alongside their friend and third co-founder, Sabina Suri, with a clear mission, creating stronger relationships through personal gifts powered by the simplest user experiences. Almost eight years since its inception, BoxFox's e-commerce site lets customers either pick a thematic, expertly curated option or build the perfect gift box for any occasion through their proprietary Build a BoxFox platform. Whether the gift is personal or corporate, they top each gift with a handwritten note before it's shipped anywhere in the world. I love this quote from the BoxFox website. Modern technology powers the BoxFox business, but it's also why our world needs companies like ours. I love this company so much, and I couldn't agree more. Bridget is a company that's laser focused on building confidence and better communication and nurturing our relationships is so essential to those strengths. Jenny and Chelsea and I were in the same sorority, actually, Kappa Kappa Gamma at UCLA. And they were panelists at one of our very first uh, Bridget workshops on the USC campus for about 300 local teen girls in 2017, which feels like forever ago now. And they were at that time, I think you guys were really starting to pick up a lot of steam, you know, about three years after founding Box Fox. So Welcome, Chelsea and Jenny, to Bridget. Thank you guys so much for joining me this morning. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're happy to be here. So great. So I'm going to, I'd love for you guys to just introduce yourselves. Um, maybe we'll take turns. And we always like to start with, you know, your your childhood, where you grew up, any like really early foundational facts that our audience might like to know. So we'll start with Chelsea. Awesome. Um, I'm Chelsea Moore Shannon. This is the first podcast I'm doing with my new married name. Love it. So that's fun. <laughs> I am from Whittier, California, which is a suburb of LA County. Yeah, I grew up there with my parents and my two younger siblings, a sister and a brother. Um, and we all still live in California and Southern California. And went to UCLA after high school, um, where I met you two, which, you know, great, important foundational time fantastic education but in the spirit of this podcast I will say amazing personal development and confidence years and the foundation of a lot of really impactful female friendships including the one with my future co-founder Jenny who very quickly became kind of 
my pledge class buddy, my exec board buddy, my roommate, my travel abroad partner. Now we own a dog together and we own this business together. So a little bit of our background. But yeah, that that that's kind of my my little history. I love that. So we always like to kind of dive into um, whether or not people had siblings, what those relationships were like. Kind of as a kid, you know, growing up, what you were like, what you were into as early as yeah. you can remember. I was the oldest, and I think I was a very typical oldest in the sense of like the psychological studies of the world. I actually wrote one of my UCLA entrance essays about being the oldest and what that meant and how that impacted my ambitions and personality and and things like that. As young as I can remember, I was on the nerdier side, but not by choice. I just wasn't really like a super athletic kid, even though I tried. But I was very into school. I was always into school. School came very easy to me. And so I really enjoyed that. And, you know, remember when, like, I'm sure you guys remember this. When we were kids, they would do these, like, uh, like the geode lady would come or, like, the dinosaur bone lady would come. And we'd have, like, a day. And then you get to, like, do the hand sanitizer and you touch all the stuff. Like, I lived for those kind of days. Loved my summer reading programs. Loved that kind of stuff. We did not travel as much as Jenny did as a child. I traveled a lot more in my 20s, so that wasn't really my personality as a kid. Yeah, I was bookish, but not that bookish. I was still very outgoing and really personable and always really, I would say, friendly to to a lot of people and, and friends with a lot of different people at my school and things like that. Did you at that point have like any idea of what you wanted to be when you were grown up or how did that I change? wanted to be a... When I was in elementary school, a teacher, diehard wanted to be a teacher. There's a theme among all the things I wanted to be. It was in charge. Because if you actually look at it, like I loved being a teacher because I loved corralling my siblings and my family friends to like teach them. Right. And then I really wanted to be, I don't remember in what order, I wanted to be a lawyer because legally blonde. I mean, everybody goes through that phase. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was even pre-law, like but when I still was at UCLA for a time. I really like the idea of being an architect, but I'm just not meticulous enough. And that would have probably broke my brain, but I still really appreciate that world. And those were kind of the things that I never once thought business owner, businesswoman, as I laugh and say. But, you know, there was a lot of times where me and my sister would set up like little storefronts on the front lawn and like little snack stands. And I worked at the grocery store in high school and I liked retail in that regard like looking back that wasn't really apparent to me it's more like in reflection I realized that which is kind of interesting yeah yeah, we do that we find that with a lot of our guests that it's like when they're going through some of their childhood moments like actually like looking at what I do now all those little things that I was kind of into do sort of piece together like I was the oldest I liked being in charge I like organizing people I like tangible things you know when you're talking about like the days in school it made me think of like the scholastic book fair Yes. <laughs> like, you like pick out your things and put them together and like, you know, take them home and the themes and everything, you know, they do kind of fit together in what you're doing today. And we love to share that with our audience because, you know, sometimes I think when you're really young, you think that like, maybe there isn't a career I can fit into. But really, once you get older, especially, you know, most of the women that have found great success, it's like, instead of finding a career they fit into, they often create a career 
that they can bring everything they are already doing and have been doing for a long time totally. without realizing it, bring that to it. Absolutely. So, I love that. We'll get back into, because I want to go through influential people for each of you, but we'll just, we'll start with Jenny. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up, what you were like as a child. Yeah. So I was actually born in Dusseldorf, Germany. My parents are American, but I just was born in Germany. My parents did a, a work exchange program over there, made my way back to the U.S. as a baby and grew up in Half Moon Bay, California, which is a small coastal town in NorCal between Santa Cruz and San Francisco. It's the pumpkin capital of the world. We have a lot of agriculture there, but it's, it was a really unique childhood because we had the Bay Area accessible to us and all that had to offer, but it was still just very, very, very small town deal. I'm the oldest child as well. And I have a huge family and I'm the third oldest cousin of, I think, 13 of just our immediate cousins. But then we've got the Ukrainian cousins. We've got the Iowa cousins. So really, really big family. Definitely similar to Charles. Very much owned my oldest sister role, uh, one of the older cousin roles as well. And that just really played into a lot of my later leadership skills too. How many siblings did you have directly? Two siblings. So my sister is one year younger than me. She's been there as long as I can remember. I always had to have like my sister, my best friend right by my side, Anna. And then my little brother is seven years younger than me. That was so fun because I just feel like I got to have my own baby doll, like mm -hmm. just aging diapers and helping out around the house and that was really awesome. And we're we're all very close today still too. Another unique thing I think is that in my elementary school, I was involved in a program called MFG, multi-age family group. It is a thing. I don't know if you've heard of it before, yeah. but ultimately we were in a uniquely designed building where all the classrooms connected. So there was K through fifth grade. Wow. And we did a lot of like learning as a multi-age family group. So fifth graders would go to the first grade classroom and they would do a lesson together and we would do lots of different age teaching and classes together. So that was unique and, and really, really awesome about just learning, but also teaching and growing at the same time. I think that's so cool. And we had actually one international guest on that said that her experience growing up, like that's how the schools were run where she was from. And I think, I think that was so cool and, and kind of creates this ability to communicate and work with people that like, I feel like when, when we're in these year-based grades sometimes, like it, it's so, it feels like such a big deal. Like, oh, the first graders and the second graders, you know, and it's such a big yeah. difference. But then once, especially once you graduate college and everything, you realize you're like, I'm in workplaces with people that are 10 years younger than me, 10 years older than me. And I don't really know what everybody did for like there's there's a, it's a melting pot once you get out of the school system. So what a cool opportunity to, you know, have that that mix and flexibility from the start. Yep. I love it. It was it was really unique and and definitely think back on that often. When you were young, do you remember like the first thing that you wanted to be? 
Oh yeah. So many things. I was always changing my mind. I wanted to be a veterinarian who lived in Paris. Um, <laughs> right time, you know, and I was really wanted to learn French. I remember that because my mom spoke French and a couple other languages. And I just thought that was so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but I changed my mind constantly. You know, wanted to be a magazine editor. I wanted to be, to work in advertising. I think I mostly wanted to be a lot of the careers that we saw in the movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. When I graduated from college, I started working in sports marketing, even though my degree was in international development, and then found my way to box box very quickly afterwards. So, to me, I I was always just opening my mind and extremely curious about so many different avenues and career paths. And I was really comfortable not knowing exactly where I was going to land. I think that in and of itself is such a a big skill, like being okay, being uncomfortable, you know, and like no one really talks about it in school. Like how does discomfort feel? You know, like how does being like a beginner feel, you know, and how do we make ourselves okay in those moments and realize that those are actually like our biggest growth moments. I also loved how you said that, you know, a lot of the different careers that you started looking into and pursuing were the ones you saw in the movies. We've actually done our own little studies based on the girls we've worked with about career paths that they thought were available to them. And usually they always have been either career paths that they've seen in media or movies somehow, or someone who they've had like an intimate experience with someone that really has influenced them in some important way or someone that they trust. And I think one of our favorites was we worked with a group of teen mothers and almost all of them listed as careers of interest listed neonatal nurse. And I just thought that that was so interesting. I'm like, it's because they had this positive experience. So a lot of our mission is just creating more access and pictures and relatable profiles of women doing way more careers than we necessarily saw when we were, were young. Because I remember like, yeah, there were there were only so many ways that women were depicted in the movies. Magazine yeah. editor, yes. cupcake baker. <laughs> um, those are the two that stand out the most to me or like chef baker in that capacity. Yep. I'm trying to think like the most glaring one I can think of. I don't like, know why everyone was marine biologist was like a big one, probably because of like free willy or something like that yeah like um legally blonde was was like definitely legally blonde made everybody think that they could be a lawyer and like i genuinely i mean we know so many attorneys from our sorority in and of itself but that was definitely a big one but it's such an important thing it's i remember you know that was kind of also part of their philanthropy in our story was that exposure to the experience of what is possible through having those those kids join us on campus for a day. And it is so impactful because your mind is just limiting naturally. And so to be able to kind of see like, oh, I could create that or, you know, the possibilities are endless or I could pursue, you know, that is so important. Yeah, I think one of the things that is so fascinating to me about your company is that it uses technology to bring people back to kind of a more old fashioned form of relationship building, like really thoughtful gift giving, you know, and thinking of someone putting something together and sending it to them for them to like tangibly experience. It's similar in in terms of like career exploration, that comparison to make an analogy is like, I remember 
out of college or during college, like looking on the internet and all these like career websites and like job applications that I could submit. And they kind of seemed like I would see the title of a job and sort of be like, that sounds cool, you know, but you really don't know what I've found is like, I really have no idea what a career is like until I meet someone doing it and ask about like, okay, like what works about this job for you? Like, what's the hardest part of the job for you? Like, what does your daily schedule look like? And then you can kind of start to grasp, like, do I have anything in common with this person that is in this career path? So it's like this high tech experience of like job applications, you know, right now, a lot of kids are having to do online, you know, bringing it to a more personal level where it's like, you can just meet people and ask them questions, you know, and reach out to them, but like have conversations or listen to a podcast like this where you can kind of get a sense for who someone is. And I always encourage like teenagers that I meet to do that. Like we had one girl and I know her mom made her do it, but I still think it's important. And I pretend she did it herself because it's better for my example. She was a local high school student and reached out about just shadowing us at work in the middle of the summer for like a week. And I wish I had been that smart at 16 to reach out and be, because when you're that age, particularly you find the right person they're so open to that oh yeah and and so just receptive you could you could do anything you could reach out to anybody so and so at CAA so and so at the architecture firm down the street I mean and that exposure and then that's also the beginning stages of your networking which has always been particularly challenging and unnatural to me Mm -hmm. so to have laid the groundwork for that where you can reach out to them five years later. Thank you so much again for that time. Do you mind introducing me to so-and-so? Like, yeah. oh my gosh, all of that. Yeah, like, you know, I was even told in business school, you know, or you're full on adult in business school, but it's like, if you say like, I'm a student, you know, and oh, yeah. I'm really trying to learn and you just kind of humble yourself that people love to help students. And what I even think, I'm like, I've graduated now, but I think when I've approached strangers with a student mentality, which I think it just involves like, humbling yourself, admitting that you're trying to learn and that you respect the time and experience of the person you're reaching out to. People love that mentality, that like, that student mentality, and you can use it to your advantage in so, so many ways. As employers, we're so willing to, you know, to accept and to, to wield all that help that we can advise on or guidance or shadowing opportunities and you know, we've experienced that so many times and we're, we're so happy to do it because it matters. I love it. Can you guys tell me or take turns telling me a little bit about any really influential people in your childhood or young adulthood that maybe like stand out or marked like a transition point in what you see as the arc of your life? So I started swimming. That was my sport. And I started swimming in second grade, age seven, who's my best friend, Monica, also swimming. And I was like, I'll do that too. I fell in love with it. And that became my sport. And my swim coach, Ur Tanner, he was Turkish, but he was just so influential on me as a child and just a, a great person. He actually he made the U.S. Olympic trials, but missed the Olympics by one one hundredth of a second. Wow. But he was from Turkey, so he actually did get to compete in the Olympics for the Turkish team. And so, you know, just to have this Olympian as my swim coach, he definitely was hard on us, but he really taught me 
the value of discipline and putting in the work. And we had practiced two hours a day, five days a week, every single day. And just like consistency and discipline, but also making sure that we had a lot of fun all the while because we were working so hard and we we just had a great time. And I just look back on those memories so fondly. And I just learned so, so, so much from him. He was just such an amazing coach. And I've really sought out and seeked that feeling over and over again in my life with different mentors or different coaches. And um, it's just been really helpful and beneficial to me. As a now employer, do you feel like there are things about the way that he he led that team that you try to kind of put into place with the people that you guys employ? Yeah, I think um, something that we talk about a lot at BoxBox is working with relaxed focus. So we're still doing our work and we're getting our work done and we're still really focused, but we're also just able to sit back and relax because we'll be able to do a better job if we're just still breathing through it. And just like, you know, we don't need to feel this crazy, insane pressure. It's better if we just approach it with relaxed focus. I think that definitely comes from his coaching style overall. And just like I said, the ability to keep working hard, we're still working hard, but we're also having fun at the same time. And that makes it all that much more rewarding. That's so healthy and refreshing to hear because I, I think that there's this like mentality that we are kind of raised with, especially at a really competitive school like UCLA, where it's like, just grind until, you know, you beat out everybody. And, you know, I think we're, we're at this stage where I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but I have a few friends and loved ones that have like actually experienced burnout and it's actually, it's a real thing, you know, and people don't really talk about it so much. So I think that having that like healthy mentality from the top down in your organization is so powerful and important. I love that. And we definitely experience burnout too. We're not perfect. Yes. (laughs) Well, let's get into that too. But yeah, Chelsea, what about you? What about you? Anyone impactful or even an impactful experience that you felt like kind of like stopped and affected you? Well, as you guys were talking, it made me think, you know, obviously so much of what you do is about instilling confidence. And I can, I can physically remember like the shift in my own internal confidence as like a young woman. Like it definitely happened during college. And I think it's, it's when you have the ability to do something in practice that you actually know how to do and then you can do it. Like I always say, I'm an excellent public speaker now because of being in a leadership role in Kappa. Like I could have never talked to a room of 200 people when I was 17. By the end of college, I'm running recruitment. So like, and that I've taken on and forward, I would say so like the people that I identify as like impactful before that are people that instilled kind of validation and confidence. And so that would probably be, I can remember like three or four very specific teachers who kind of that acknowledgement, right? That like, you're smart, you're on the right track, you're doing something right. And I feel like my elementary school was just like the most amazing. I mean, most of the teacher, Miss Osborne, Miss Fota, Miss Bolin, who I still have a relationship with Miss Bolin. And I call her Miss Bolin, even though she's like <laughs> friends with my mom. And she's like, call me Marianne. I'm like, I can't know. Nope. <laughs> it's like not a thing. But high school teachers too, Miss Lance was like, you know how to write. And like her telling me that I've taken that. And I'm like, yeah, I do know how to write. And I've continued to like get better at it. 
those moments of acknowledgement and validation definitely you take. I can remember every single one of those, you know, similar to like, I don't have that in an athletic experience, let me tell you, <laughs> but I have it in, in that I would say those are impactful. And my dad and my uncles have always kind of reinforced that I'm the old or one of the oldest cousins as well. And so like, I remember in college being pre-law or poli-sci, you know, pre-law. And I I remember my dad and my oldest uncle kind of being like, are you sure? You just, you're so creative. Are you sure? And that's all they said. And I was like, you're right. I can't, I can't do that. Even though I could have done it, I could have done it. And I probably would have enjoyed it. But like, now look at the, how creative of a world Jenny and I have created for ourselves and, and all of that. So I would definitely say like any opportunity where someone sees you has kind of dropped those nuggets of impact along the way. I think that's so powerful. And I like the difference between moments of acknowledgement versus like necessarily moments of praise. I'm even kind of experiencing this with, I'm learning so much from raising a two-year-old, but it's really like, it's the same. It's the same throughout our lives. In parenting, there's, instead of like focusing on a negative behavior and trying to like kill the negative behavior, what this parenting gentle parenting philosophy basically says is that it's it's so much more impactful to instead acknowledge productive or positive mm. behaviors and it's not so much being like good job like you did good like you this is good you don't need to label it it's just acknowledging yeah. like you were brave in that moment you were i know it was hard for that for you to do that thing but you were brave and you did it didn't you you know just acknowledging something that happened versus just praising like um there is a difference and it it, you don't need to necessarily be praised as much as you just need to be seen and then I also think like not labeling it as good or bad is a gift to the person that's receiving it because you then put it in their plate on their plate to say okay yeah yeah you know I I did get really into that moment where I was building a bike with my teacher maybe I am into how things work you know, and then explore that instead of being like, this is good, you should do that. Or it's like pointing someone in a, in a direction instead of letting them kind of determine that for themselves. Yeah, totally. that makes sense. But I love that moments of acknowledgement. Kishi and I did a little conversational podcast recently about relationships and we were talking about the love languages and different things. And, and BoxFox really makes me think of that. One of my love languages is like gifts. I love putting together like a thoughtful gift for someone. So I've used BoxBox so many times. I love that you can really, you can customize it and you can think through like, what was someone going into? What stage of life are they going through? You know, that they could use a little bit bit of acknowledgement or like maybe they might need this thing. It's a way of like communicating, you know, your love for someone, but also that moments of acknowledgement. It's kind of like that words of affirmation in a way, all different ways of communicating how we feel. Exactly. Really important because we talk every gift with a handwritten note. And that just adds that extra layer of those words of affirmation that's available there as a part of the process too. So. So great. Did either of you have any barriers, obstacles, difficult moments in your young adulthood that really shaped who you became or the way that you, you faced hard things? I don't know. I don't think anything's like coming to mind, like right off the bat for me. You know, it's, it's funny. Cause I feel like we'd have those, um, you know, the college application prompts that are like, explain a moment of adversity. 
And I remember being like, but like, I, you know, I'm not living in a war stricken country. You know, I've, I've never been in like a crazy, I I have both my parents. I had like some really great situations growing up, but I think that it's all relative. Like it can be as simple as like, you know, I lost my pet lizard (laughs) and like, I was really invested in that. Like when we're young, things that matter to us, they matter whether it's relatively, you know, intense for someone else or not. Yeah. I I mean, I hate to say that, but like, it's also important to acknowledge reality. Like I don't think anything in my childhood qualifies under that. I mean, my biggest like villain origin story of childhood is that I like was not athletic and that was not something that was going to happen. Like try as I might, like I was the slowest swimmer on the swim team. I was the slowest runner in PE. It just was what it was. I tried out for cheer and I didn't make it. Like things yeah. like that. But those yeah. aren't real. Like if anything, it made me just be like, okay, move on. Try three times and move on with your life and do things that you actually are better at. Which is powerful to, you know, it's maybe it's not so adversity, but it's so rejection and coping. And especially as a young kid, like when we're young, sports are such like, especially socially, you know, you're looking around and it's part of school, really. Like there's the school teams and almost everyone's doing something, you know, parents just put their kids into sports just to get them something to do. So to be aware that it's like, all right, but this isn't really where I'm going to shine. I think in like the early 2000s too, or late 90s, early 2000s, at least this is how I felt. When you're a kid, it's like either you do sports, you do one of the sports, mm-hmm. you sing and, or dance. And yeah. like those were kind of like the talent spectrum and those weren't my talent at all. And so I do think in a way subconsciously it did challenge me to start brainstorming and daydreaming about other and like what else could be fulfilling and what else could be Thing now, I've, I mean, I have no idea. I don't know that many kids in that age range that I'm referring to, but I think now you can kind of make anything happen for yourself. And like, you could be an artist, you could be a digital marketer, you could be really good at like making collages on Tumblr or Pinterest. Like, there's so many different things now, but at the time it was very limiting. And so I think it would like, it really did kick off like an, an inadvertent brainstorm. Back. Yeah. Totally. Well, I also, th- I think it is important to also acknowledge when it's like, it's okay and good to have had a childhood where you're like, I didn't face any like crazy trauma or this or that. And I, I actually remember kind of feeling a little guilty about that at certain points. Like yeah. there are little things that we can identify and like you did learn something from that and delegation where it's like, I'm not good at this. I'm going to find someone who is, you know, that all comes from those moments yeah. of like, wow, this isn't really sticking for me, is it? You know, like the sports stuff. Cool. <laughs> Which isn't working out. <laughs> yeah, but I but I think that there are probably quite a few young people that can relate to the like, yeah, maybe I haven't had like crazy adversity, but like, does that mean I'm I'm not as extraordinary for some reason? Like I haven't gone through this crazy thing as a young person, so I'm just unusual and special in this like regard of being, you know, having gone through this thing that it's like, okay, like we all have different, upbringings and it can be a variety of different ways and you can still be learning along the way yeah absolutely I think um just to echo that too I I feel very similar very blessed had a really wonderful childhood and and great great life so far but I think that I still am the type of personality where I seek out challenges and I seek out ways to put myself in uncomfortable situations and 
running half marathons, running a marathon, or going down an interest right now. I'm really into my garden and just being a total amateur and just like trying to figure it out. So there's definitely ways to still like keep growing and keep challenging yourself no matter what. Absolutely. Well, I'd love to explore kind of the time that you guys both started at UCLA, kind of like the experience of the just before college, what you thought college was going to be like, and eventually you two meeting and the foundation of your friendship. So tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, I was very excited. UCLA was my first choice. So I was excited in that regard. I wanted to go to a big school where I wouldn't know everybody by the end of of the four years. I was like this library where there's just people, right? And also being able to watch D1 sports (laughs) and like have a team in that regard was important to me. I don't know why. It just was. I just couldn't see myself at like Scripps, you know what I mean? Or a small liberal arts school. That's great for certain people. It wasn't my personality. Going to school, I went to a great public school. I felt like I was someone who challenged myself. I went to like extracurricular programs or whatever, but that first quarter kicked my butt. I remember being like, the pace of this is insane. And Jenny and I, I reference this all the time with our employees, this specific feeling, because you learn to expand your capabilities. You learn to adapt uh, September of that year, staring down those next 10 weeks of all that reading, all that, whatever, because we were North Campus majors and whatever. You expand. And then it's still challenging and it's still hard. But a year later, that's just inherent to what you do. And so I always talk about that with employees that kind of go up the ladder with us throughout, you know, a longer span of their career. It's like, I know this seems overwhelming right now, but I promise you in three months, this is going to feel very inherent to you. You just have to try. But yeah, so join that. Immediately, I lived in Dykstra, the oldest dorm at the time. So it was like the only dorm that hadn't been redone yet. (laughs) And I wanted that. I remember being like, I wanted where the I opened the door and their doors right across the other door. And like, you're just living in doors. But the first night I spent in my dorm, I looked around and I was like, I should rush too. I should broaden my horizon. Yeah. And I think I signed up like the last second you could sign up. And the first day of rush was my 18th birthday. And I didn't meet Jenny right away. I actually met her other best friend, Kelsey, way, way earlier. And I think I started hanging out with Kelsey more before Jenny, but that's because all the people who lived on the bottom of the residence hill kind of hung out more. And then the people who were more up the hill hung out more. And then you needed so people, true, actually. You needed people to bridge that. And so yeah. eventually it all bridged together. But that was kind of like what I remember from that season of life. I kind of remember um, when you start school, it's like you're in high school and stuff. And if you're lucky, like you kind of also have like parents aware of the different things you have going on like you have a test coming up like yeah you know what's your schedule like for your whatever extracurriculars and stuff that you're doing like did you have dinner I remember just that feeling of being like I am unobserved here like looking back I'm like oh actually it's like kind of the foundation of like personal integrity you know you go to college and it's like I gotta make my way am I gonna focus on school this week Am I going to like take care of myself? Am I going to sleep? Am I going to like, how am I going to spend my time? And like, no one's watching. What am I going to do when no one's watching? And I think that that was kind of that like intense feeling of like, I got to make all these choices right now. (laughs) And there's a lot on my plate to choose from. I remember it was the things I obviously was like a pretty well behaved kid in high school. So the drink, that kind of stuff separate. I'm thinking about like the the actual like eating, sleeping, take care of yourself stuff. 
my parents never let us sleep in past like eight on the weekend. So the first full year of college, honestly, into Kappa, I was sleeping till 10 o'clock almost every night. And I remember okay. girls, when you live in Front Pledge, you live with eight people. These girls, Jenny, Katie, running the perimeter, eating from the salad bar. I was like, who are you people? You don't have to do that. And then eventually you're like, oh. And then I overcorrected and got an internship at Morgan Stanley where I had to be there at six. I had to be there at East Coast nine to yeah. just like force myself to overcorrect because that was what I took the most advantage of was like eating whatever I wanted and sleeping as much as I wanted. And then I, you know, corrected that. But it's so funny when you say that. Like, I think that even just that. like, oh, I have to like figure out regular intervals to do my own laundry, you know, and like do these things. And it's. I think there's this sort of like counter wave of like, you don't need to go to college to like, you know, become a, an adult. And that's true for some people, a lot of people. But I do think that that just it's a relatively safe place to figure out like the fundamentals of learning on your own piece by piece. hundred percent. What about you, Jenny? Yeah, I, I remember my my hometown is so small. There's 10,000 people. And I was just so ready to go to college. and. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I had no idea. I don't know. I just was like very naively optimistic and excited. And uh, UCLA was very big, but I just was like comfortable with it and ready to just be there and make the most of it. And I, I knew I wanted to rush. So that was a priority for me, like right off the bat. And had so much fun going to football games and just meeting so many people and making so many friendships. And I still feel like so in touch with all these people that I met in the first two weeks of UCLA that maybe I wasn't in touch with as much through social connections or through classes, but I just met them those first two weeks and still I'm friends with them today. So that was just so fun to just go from such a teeny tiny hometown to that big school feeling. And I just loved it. And yeah, I, I definitely know what you're talking about, Asha. And for me, a big thing was, what is my schedule? How am I going to create more structure in my schedule? Because like I was talking about, I was used to, to going to school and going to swim practice, two hours swim practice every single day. And I really struggled with where am I going to bring that structure in? So for me, I actually joined the UCLA triathlon team, which is a club team. And so then I got to like, I had my classes and then I had my practice schedule that helped me to kind of get through that transition of building out my own structure in my day. And that was great, great people, great workouts. Like it was so awesome that I, I really felt that need for structure and I just immediately needed to build that in. I love hearing that because obviously you're a COO now yeah. and you know, you're that person that like I creates am. structure for systems to thrive. And it's like as early as college, before you're even thinking about like, what am I going to do? You're like, okay, if this is going to work, like I need to find a way to find structure. And yeah. There you and she is that person. Jenny <laughs> will do things. I will follow whatever she tells, whatever system she hands to me, I will follow like, I can't make a stunning, beautiful spreadsheet that links into here and there and whatever. But man, she can. It's amazing. I love that. It, well, it's so it's so cool, too, because she and I, you know, have been working on Bridget for I don't even know how many years now since, you know, about the time that we met. And I do definitely find like we have so much in common. People are always like they warn against 
being in business with, you know, your close friends. But I think that there are ways it can work. Like even you have really complementary skills in addition to that, those things that bind you together. Like she is that person that, you know, is like, okay, like we'll figure out how to get it done. Like, let's just take the next step. You know, she's really good at a lot of things, but finds ways to structure and get it all done where I'm like, I'm like, I have this idea, you know, or I get, I get really fired up and I can speak on it and really like get people jazzed and behind me and stuff. But then sometimes I get a little overwhelmed. I'm like, but how is it going to come together? You know, and to have someone that's like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Like we could do it this way. And like, oh, if that doesn't work, we'll just do it this way. It's so cool to have those kind of complementary skills in someone that you. And Jenny has made me, I can identify tangible ways in which her approach to things has made me better and brought me closer in from the end zone. And I've also learned, taught her how to live in a little bit more chaos and brought her this way. And so it's a good, it's a good thing. The complementary skill sets is a good thing. I 100% agree. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, tell me about how you guys met. Yeah, so I think really missing link is our third best friend, Kelsey, Kelsey McCown, now Kelsey Mandelbaum. And her and I just became best friends like right off the bat, you know, those first few weeks of college. But also Chelsea was in, what did you call it? What was that class called? Like a cluster? Oh, yeah. Remember those those clusters freshman year? I was in the 60s cluster with Kelsey. Kelsey and I were really, really close right off the bat. And then Kelsey and Chelsea had that class together every single week for the entire freshman year. And it was pretty small pitch class too. So by spring quarter, we were all hanging out and we had really established that friendship a lot more. I would say though, like where we were friends, where we went from friends to like, we're probably going to be together forever is when we... Everybody kind of paired off and like, who was going to go abroad with each other, right? Like, it was kind of, I don't remember exactly when it happened, but it was like two things. One, we decided to live in again, junior year. So like sophomore year, you live in big rooms with a lot of people. But if you live in junior year, you get to just share with one person. And so there was that. And we kind of had already aligned that we would be roommates together, like for the next year. So we knew that. And then in addition to that, we were the two that wanted to go abroad in the summer because we didn't want to miss out on the school year. We just had jobs and like recruitment and just different things going on. And we were like, we really want to go abroad, but we don't want to go abroad during a full quarter. And so we kind of paired off in that way. And so we spent like seven weeks in Europe together that summer. And that was obviously really impactful and like an impactful foundation for the rest of time. Our third best friend, Kelsey, met us there and then she studied abroad in Seoul, but we all got to intersect and it was just such a great trip and just traveling experience overall. And then we decided to live together senior year and we decided to live together after college in Venice the first you know, year and then so on and so forth. And then here we are. <laughs> you know, I think that that's it's I like hearing about your experience abroad together. I think one of the things or one of the moments that I realized like, oh, I can actually like, I'll like be with my now husband was like, we, we took a couple trips together and I'm like, on one, we like stayed on a, in a little boat room together. And I'm like, oh, like if we can coexist in like small spaces, new experiences, like improvise a little bit together, which I think just necessarily being abroad, being in new places, new cultures kind of does for you. It, it really shows a lot about like your relationship and your ability to, to work together, you know, 100%. Yeah. 
you guys have any like experiences abroad that you giggle about or you know you just oh, yeah. over? some that aren't for this podcast but also <laughs> jenny got robbed yeah oh, no. i did i did on a train we took a really early morning train it was like a five or six a.m train and we fell asleep like we were just sitting in our seats and we fell asleep and someone came and pickpocketed me while we were sleeping but um, overall, great time. It was during the Olympics. I also had my credit card eaten by an ATM. And so we were like moneyless for 12 hours. And my mom had to like Western Union money to me. And I was like, the yeah. area by the... Right. I, um, My cards, everything was stolen from me. So I had no money. So we were in the last leg of our trip. So I was just going to live off Chels. And then we were going to figure it out when we got back. And then, and then my card got eaten. And then we're like, okay, we're in Paris and we have no money and no funds. But we were industrious and resourceful because I said, when I worked at the grocery store, people did Western Union every single day. And I called my mom yeah. and I said, can you Western Union $1,000? We have like four days left here just to be safe. And I was like, I don't know. We didn't know anything like we do now about like neighborhoods and stuff. I was like, I think the neighborhood by the Louvre is really nice. So just do it to that Western <laughs> and we'll walk there. Yes. And we also got locked in the metro in Paris at night. That was terrifying like they just close all the gates also i got left behind on that one train where chelsea and jenny want get onto a metro and the door just closes and you know you don't have cell phone service back in 2012 no. over there so i just watched the doors close. <laughs> and we just I. <laughs> but all in all great trip very foundational very important totally i one of my best friends and i were on uh, it was like a high school trip to europe together and in the metro she jumped like the little fence because she was like we were in a big group and like she said so her ticket wasn't working or something so she jumped it and she literally got arrested in the metro and like we, we didn't speak a lot of french and stuff and the guy was like holding her and we're like oh we're in high school like we'll go back like here's money you know yeah. and it was it was just such a story because we we're both like pretty wholesome kids yeah but, like that moment and actually speaking of kappa my first night of rush so when you're rushing i want to talk about sororities a little bit too because i think that a lot of you know, they, a lot of young people know about them, Greek life and everything in, in colleges, but it's also like, for me, like I came from an immigrant mom and a dad that wasn't in the fraternity system or anything. So I was the first person in my family to like join a sorority or try to rush or anything. So they were terrified because of the movies. First night of rush, they, like you get there and they're like, you have to leave your purse outside because we don't want any, like them judging you based on who's carrying what purse. And of course I have my like, brand new grad gift purse. And I was naive enough to pack all of my grad, like cash, gift cards, brand new perfume, like a necklace, like all sorts of things in my freaking purse. And they're like, they leave, we're in Los Angeles and they're like, just leave them in this corner and this girl will watch them. And I went into Kappa, it was Kappa that was the house we were in, but I came back outside and you know, the girl that was supposed to be watching them was a volunteer or whatever. I'm like, where's my purse? And she was like, it was in the pile, right? I'm like, it was, but it's not here anymore. And then I, oh, I no. see, um, I call the police. And it was a whole thing, but like my cards are being used places and stuff. But I think that that was like those moments where you're like, oh crap, like, you know, they do teach you a lot where you're like, okay, yeah. like can't fall asleep on a, you know, on a train, yeah, you know, and not be aware of my surroundings. Can't leave like my bag out and assume someone else is going to watch it. Like, you know, we got to be real world and unfortunately Absolutely. through like tough yep. moments like that let's talk a little bit about like being a part of the greek system we could talk about this forever 
Yeah. Why you were interested in it, how your family felt about it, some of that. My husband's in the other room and he's going to, he can only hear what I'm saying. And I know he's going to roll his eyes at all the things I'm saying because he went to Santa Barbara and that wasn't just, it wasn't as thick. You didn't need to do it there. But I was the oldest sibling. I'm a female friendships person. And so, like, I was looking for that experience particularly. And at UCLA specifically, it's like you kind of have to find your little, it doesn't need to be Greek life. It could be, I can't remember, Student Alumni Association. It could be the Creative Arts Commission people. It could be the Unicamp people. It could be you're an athlete, like you're a club athlete. You just kind of need to like find a pocket because it's so overwhelming, overwhelmingly big. So I was like, well, this is pretty easy, right? Like I could just join this. So you wouldn't know it now, but I was a lot more socially anxious back then. Like Jenny and Kelsey could walk into Sigma Chi at 4 p.m. on a Tuesday and like feel really comfortable and hang out with everyone. I was not there yet, like honestly, till the end of college. And so I just was looking for that experience. And I only knew one person in Greek life that was older, and it was Mel Chalian, Mel Yakubian mm-hmm. now. She was a girl who grew up in the Armenian community in Whittier and like was very close with people I was close with. And I was like, well, Honestly, I look back and I'm like, I just kind of was like, well, if Mel's in this one, it's probably a cool one. And so I like went after Kappa. So shout out Mel. You're the reason that I picked Kappa. So but cool, by the way. I was like, she's cool. She's really good friends with all the cool people that I know. It'll be fine. I was just kind of looking to find a, a niche in a community that was like really like female energy, feminine energy. I don't remember the rest of your question, but that's a little bit about why I joined. Yeah. Was it like in your family? Was it embraced and everything? Was it? Oh, yeah. 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 Like nobody, nobody cared. Now I'm the one in the family that's like, are you rushing when everyone goes to college? What, which, which house are you doing? Like my cousin goes to Dayton and I was texting her every single day during her recruitment and she was so annoyed with me. I'm like, tell me everything. Like, has it, now it's really intense. Also, we were very lucky. I will acknowledge we, did it in a very unique time stamp where there wasn't Instagram and there wasn't really Facebook and it was kind of offline. And California is just significantly chiller than anywhere else. And honestly, UCLA even more so than like USC. And so I don't know how I would have fared at like Alabama, but I will say UCLA did a really good job of like, it was very equal. Everyone got a bid. It was very like safe spacey. And so, yeah, like no, um, what do they even call it? I don't even know. Like dropped bids or whatever. Hazy. No, no hazy. People don't believe me, but I'm like, UCLA, that did not fly. That's flowers. Like, yeah. like, I mean, I think the most that ever happened is like an older girl was like, take a handle pull at like a date party. And I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. Like, so I think when I speak about it, it was a very, I think, a little bit more of a unique experience. But you could find that community in whatever kind of group you want to join. But. For us, it was like, it was so foundational to make me feel social and comfortable and have like a community at at such a big school. And then doing recruitment, which I just kind of raised my hand on a whim for, was so impactful. And I always say, I'm like, that's a really important experience. You take that to your law school interviews, your med school interviews, your job interviews, how you manage down the line, how you pair it down the line, like just how you're able to talk to people in a room, how you're able to read people pick up on really social nuanced cues. Like there's so many different layers to why that's an important experience. Yeah. Love it. What about you, Jenny? Yeah. I, I knew I wanted to rush right off the bat. My family 
I'm a little bit of a black sheep in my immediate family because they're my parents are chemists, everybody's scientists, and I'm over here like talking about fonts and design and colors and but my grandma was a pie pie. Um, some of my aunts and cousins were in sororities. And so I've always had a feeling of like, oh, well, even if my immediate family isn't that way, I still have examples of that in my extended family that we're really close with. So definitely knew I wanted to rush, had a great time and was so excited to join Kappa. Yeah, overall, my parents were not in sororities or fraternities, but they both adapted to Stanford. My mom went to University of Illinois, so they were really excited for me to pave my own path at my own big school. Very cool. I love that. Well, I want to talk a little bit about when you guys started Box Fox. Like, what was the original inspiration? And really paint a picture of like those early days, you know, trying to figure out like whether it was viable and hurdles you you got over. So tell us a little bit about the inspiration story. Yeah, I can start and Jenny can jump in. We had graduated from school and just kind of going off the last thing we were talking about, had a really, really great community of friends that we loved very much. And then immediately when you graduate, you wake up the next day and people are gone. People are off at law school, at med school, at their job. Kelly Knickerbocker went to Hong Kong. Like people were gone. And that was really shocking. It was like, ooh, that's a weird transition. And then we're trying to transition into our big girl jobs. And again, talk about expanding your capacity. Going straight into that eight to five, nine to five life is like a pretty shocking transition. So that summer, it was just kind of me and Jen and our friend Erica and a couple other people. And we were just feeling really disconnected from everybody. So that was like a sentiment that was happening. And later that year, so like the end of 2013, we were just thinking like, I don't remember exactly, like it was kind of like a combination of experiences. And then there was one main experience, but it was like, wouldn't it be cool if there was a way to like, there was a plugin on Google where I could pull my favorite products and they would ship to somebody to, you know, like, how can you kind of combine all that stuff? And the way we started thinking about it more and more and we're like, no, we'd have to like own the fulfillment. And I don't even think I knew what the word fulfillment meant back then. Like we need to own the, the shipping of all of that. And it kind of led us down a rabbit hole. And then one of our friends, Grace was in the hospital and we all were very low on the ladder at our jobs and couldn't like leave in the middle of the day. And there wasn't like Uber Eats or anything like that. And it was like, how can you be there for others when you can't physically be there for others? And how can like a care package do the heavy lifting in place of you when, you know, so-and-so is in D.C. and you're in L.A. or so-and-so is across town and you can't go. And so that's what really kicked off the like origin of Build a Box Box, which is the main part of our website where you can build custom gifts and care packages from all the best brands in one place. And it took years to build up those brand relationships. Now we have Herbivore and Velespa and Whey and Moon Juice, but that took a lot of time. But that was the original vision was how can we pull this stuff together? And so this was around like the end of 2013, beginning of 2014. Jenny and I, we brought in Sabina who was my friend from work that I just really clicked with immediately and just kind of knew she was an ambitious hard worker too. And we were just like, I think she'll really get this. And we started working on it kind of the whole of 2014. And by summer of 2014, we're like, okay, we need to pick a date. We just need to throw some spaghetti at the wall, pick a date. We're going to go for it. And so we were like, November 7th, we're going to launch on November 7th. 
And we only started with ready to ship gifts. The build a box box part of it took a little bit longer. And we launched that about six months later. But yeah, that was kind of like the baseline. Where did the deep come from? We don't remember. Yeah, it's so funny because we were just like doodling in our journals, like dreaming up this company and we were writing the cursive S over and over and over again. And then we don't even know who said it first or whatever, but it was just like, oh, Fox, oh, Box Fox. And that was it. And I think to just like zoom back out a little bit on our whole origin story, one of the craziest parts of this is that we had no hesitation. We were sitting on this idea, but we were just sitting on it to think through it. There was no question of like, are we going to do this? Are we not going to do this? It was just so clear to us that this was something that we were going to do. And looking at- It was back, more like how, but not if. Exactly. Yeah. And so people always ask us you know, these questions and we're like, actually, we were just 22 years old and- this problem was in front of us and we weren't even thinking about like the expansiveness of this business that we were going to build. We were just so focused on like, oh, this is this problem right in front of us. So we're going to do that. And we started just meeting on a weekly basis. Again, we started meeting Monday nights because in this postgrad transition, we didn't have Kappa Monday night meetings anymore. And we needed to create a little bit more structure to actually get this idea off the ground. So we started meeting weekly. And there was just no question in our minds, no doubt. We just went for it, which is just so crazy. And I honestly think that that kind of like beginner's naivete or luck or mentality can be such a gift because, you know, coming from someone like I've been through business school and their entrepreneurship courses and everything. And I think there is value to like testing the market, make sure that there is a need and a customer for what you're going to build. But I also sometimes felt like when I was thinking of like new business ideas and you look at like, okay, you need to think of like, you know, your runway and your like your costs and uh, unit costs and all these things. And and there's so many different things that were like, you have to check all these boxes and how much are you scaling and are you taking funding and are you, how many employees at what time that it can get so intimidating in a way that you, even sometimes good ideas don't get off the ground where it's like, it yeah. might've been kind of nice to actually have that, just the vision and passion and teamwork together to really start moving, you know, and figuring it out as you go. Yeah, we very much agree. Like it was a complete blessing for us. And yeah, I mean, one of the biggest takeaways though is that it was just about action and like moving forward and just doing. And that was what we were so focused on. It's like, okay, well, what's the next step? What's the next step? What's the next step? And just figuring it out every single day. So what were like the earliest boxes you guys sent out? What were like kind of the first investments you made to get your your business going? What were some like little stories of like, oh shit moments that you guys can share? Yeah. First of all, the launch even of itself was one of those moments because we knew we wanted a beautiful box, this cream color that was, you know, uniquely designed so that people could impress whatever occasion they wanted on it. So something that would work just as well for a birthday, just as well for a new baby, but also for condolences or a sympathy gift. There's a lot of thought that went in behind the actual box. We sized it to fit perfectly in a FedEx shipper box because that's what we- FedEx medium. Yeah, FedEx medium box. 
And so we knew we were going to go to China because we quickly learned that we weren't going to be able to make these boxes in the U.S. And if we did, those people were just going to make them in China and upcharge us. So some of the funny early stories were about these middle-of-the-night Skype Google Translate conversations that we were having with some of these Chinese box vendors. We had two women that we were working with. There was Kathy Chen and Candy, and we got samples shipped to us. And we were like, which one is Kathy's? Which one is Candy's? We can't even read which one is which. Um, We eventually figured out our prototype for our boxes. But at the time, there was also a lot of stuff going on at the ports. There was port slowdowns and our boxes ended up getting to the port in Long Beach, but there were strikes and slowdowns happening. And so we were ready to launch BoxRx on September 1st of that year. And because of all this delay, we actually didn't have our boxes. And every single week we thought the boxes were going to be here. We're going to be able to launch our site. All right, well, next Monday, the boxes are going to be here. And we started to inch closer and closer to holiday season, which for a gift box company is always going to be big, even if we're just figuring it out and getting started. And so um, we finally got to November 7th and we were like, we don't have our boxes. We don't know when they're coming. We thought they were going to be here months ago at this point, but we're just going to launch our site and we're just going to do everything pre-order. Because if we don't launch now with our six boxes, what are we going to do for holiday? How's that going to impact all the planning that we've already done and the inventory purchasing that we've already done for the holiday boxes that we're going to drop? So we're already kind of feeling this big conundrum, this planning, the cash outlay for the boxes, the inventory. We haven't had any sales yet. So we launched November 7th. We emailed every single person we've ever met or known that we had their emails from. Yeah, so we launched our site with no boxes. And then sure enough, the next week, the boxes did arrive and we got to kick it all off the ground. But we started out with six of our ready-to-ship gifts. And again, even though our original idea was our build-a-box-box algorithm, We just wanted to take action. We knew that we needed more capital to be able to hire a developer to build this out in the code that we needed. We didn't have that money at the time at the start. So we just launched. We just took action with these six pre-curated gifts. And then we figured we would be able to drive the sales to a place where we could afford the development. I love hearing about that because it's really really smart and insightful where it's like, okay, we need to get to this mountaintop, but like we can't get there with what we have right now. So either we don't do it, which was not even in your minds. So it's like, okay, how can we get ourselves there? Like, let's, let's launch a version of what we want to create, keep the feeling, the box, you know, the outcome there, you know, for our customers, but then also have this, like, this is a stepping stone to this bigger vision that we, we want to create. That's so cool. I love hearing that because you don't always hear that that's like the stages of a company and having that patience and vision to creatively, you know, get there. Yeah, absolutely. And back then, like there's definitely things like if we knew now that we should have taken advantage of like paid Facebook in the 2014, 2015 Wild West to like expand customer. There's all these things we could have, would have, should have, but like we're really comfortable with like the organic growth level over the last eight years. For sure. When you guys got started, what was a moment where you were like, 
oh, like this is, this is really working. And like a, like a scaling moment, like what was the first moment you're like, we got to expand, we got to do something differently or address costs in a certain way, like kind of grow up a little bit as a business. When we 10 boxes a day, that felt really like a big deal. Like 10 orders a day felt really overwhelming. I remember it because we were taking everything to the post office in Venice ourselves. Packing boxes in a corner of our apartment and driving our other roommates crazy. I think also when Jenny and I, like I'd say about five months after we launched, four months after we launched, Jenny and I privately got together and we're like, I think we should move. Like the two of us should move. We were taking over and like it was just causing annoyance, which I could totally understand. So then we had to move and we decided to move to El Segundo because at the time we basically were looking for a three bedroom for the price of two is what. Mm-hmm. And I remember we took like a big leap of faith, like, we're like, oh, my God, Box Box is going to have to pay for one of the rooms like we can't afford we can't afford a three bedroom with just the two of us box box is going to have a little bit of overhead what a big leap of faith but we it did. was like a thousand dollars a month or something and we were like okay yeah. that's a big leap of faith um <laughs> and so we did did it out of our apartment further from we moved in 2015 and we lived in that apartment until 2019 the end of 2019 but we were doing box box in there just for a year. So we did box socks yeah. in the apartment for a year, which looking back feels like the longest year of my life because living upstairs with inventory was gnarly. But then, then we moved, we got, we got really lucky like along the way with real estate stuff. Like corporate real estate is honestly a very, very intimidating thing to, to go into. All these guys, they know, they think they're just talking at you. You know, you're 22 years old. You're like, this terminology and stuff. They all are shiny looking because they got to look good every day. So I remember at the time, my dad's friend connected me with a local broker who knew a guy in Manhattan Beach who inherited a bunch of warehouses. And he was willing to let us lease like the back corner of like a very old aerospace warehouse. So we were so excited. We're like, okay. We'll just go in here. It wasn't like the typical five-year lease, which is why corporate real estate can be so intimidating because it's like five years. Get Take it or leave it. So we moved down the street into this old warehouse that we're very grateful for. Horrible lighting, but we're very grateful for it. And we just took over the, the back 2,000 square feet of like a 10,000 square foot warehouse. And then we got so lucky. We're driving home every day. And I was going to we see this warehouse. It had a for lease sign on it for like a year. And so we just on a whim, like a couple months later, called the number and we got so lucky. It wasn't your typical CBRE or Dom or all the local names we know now. It was just these two guys who happened to manage this property owned by a family that now lives in Hawaii. Like we got so lucky. Kind of these two guys who are like a little silly Billy. We go tour it. They're trying to negotiate with us. I'm on crutches. Me and Jenny were like, this has been sitting here for a year. We'll do X. And that place had its quirk, let me tell you, but it got us the confidence and the financials and the whatever. And we signed a two-year lease, which is so unheard of. And by the end of that is when we graduated to finding a real lease, a five-year lease. We moved to Hawthorne. We expanded. It was a place that didn't have cockroaches dying in it every morning. But like we got so lucky along the way, like even the Hawthorne place we're in now, like it was never listed. 
I had been going around and around and around. I just happened to say the broker who had been driving me around for three months. I was like, oh, I really like that building with the brick and the black. It's really nice. It's well appointed, even though it's like over here. And one day he called and was like, that broker wants you to know that this is available, but it's not going to be listed. And like we acted super fast. I remember we went really soon. Yeah. I'm trying to remember that. I think it was 4th of July weekend. I like made my dad and my maybe my boyfriend, now my husband drive like we went on a weird holiday where they were like could get us in i have pictures from it I would, but anyways we got really really lucky in that regard well I, i'm also hearing like the kind of the baby steps where you're like okay like this is working for us like let's just use this little corner and even like the first step of saying like all right like we are going to i think when you start a business it's important to think of your business as um kind of a person or entity you know they t- they teach you it's its own living thing. So it's like, you have to think about it, like, okay, the business is going to be renting a room, you know, and that commits us to a one-year lease. So we have to have faith that our business is going to be around for a year, which is a big thing, yeah. you know, when you're first starting. And then it's like, okay, now we're baby step to the, this many years and like, we'll, we'll piggyback off of this other, you know, warehouse. And then we're going to commit to two years and then kind of just phasing it out in those steps. And then before you know it, you're like, oh, wow, like we are, we are in commercial real estate. Like I'll call my broker, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, I got a guy. Yeah. Yeah. Not, you don't go like zero to 60. Like I'm going to start a business and I'm going to be in this glitzy glam warehouse day one, you know, and have to put out all this money to start where it's like, no, like you'll get there, you know, just find ways to, to focus on the goal of getting your product to your customers. And that comes back to this like expansion of your capacity, right? It's like now yeah. building up that Literally. resource pool of like, okay, I do have an attorney I can call. We do have a broker we can call. We do have an app guy we can call. Like we have an insurance guy we can call. That that took a long time. And before we had that network set up, it was really intimidating. Felt very like that movie with Sandra Bullock and George Clooney where they're floating out in space. I don't remember the name. Totally. <laughs> well, I know we're like, I feel like I can talk with you guys forever. I have two more little topics that I want to yeah. cover before we do last five. Here. First, I'd love to talk about like your first employee and your general philosophy around hiring people and your kind of your company culture. Yeah. So who was like your first real hire? So we started with college interns. And so it was Chelsea was home all day. Sabina and I worked full-time for the first two years of BoxBox still. But Chelsea had four interns for the summer that all were going to get college credit. We had Riley, Annie, and then Chelsea's brother and sister. And they actually did an amazing job. It was so helpful to have those helping hands every single day, which allowed Chelsea to just do so much more throughout the day. But then our first employee was Rafaela. She just happened to be my like very distant, but not that distant relationship. It was my coworkers, girlfriends, sister. And um, she was a new mom. But she was, I heard through the grapevine at work that she was starting to look for work, but she wasn't really sure where she was going to go and how she was going to figure out childcare. And so I was like, I told my coworker, I'm like, if she needs a job, we need somebody at BoxBox. She can bring her baby. We don't care. And so, yeah, Raphael would come with her sweet baby, Rue, to our apartment in El Segundo. And was like eight now. Yeah. She would pack boxes and, you know, got to have a lot of fun and hang out with sweet baby Rue. 
And she was just such a great addition to the team because she helped free up Chelsea to then write blog posts and send emails and create Instagrams instead of just spending the entire day packing the actual boxes. Totally. And we have learned so much more about hiring since then. That could be its own book, its own thing. But back then it was like, we'll take all the help we can get. And we le- we've learned so much from every single employee that we've hired. Yeah. I feel like you know, my husband's an entrepreneur in like the bar and restaurant industry. I am and- familiar. Yes. <laughs> yes. And he, you know, I, I've learned so much from him just as an entrepreneur, but he admits he's like the hardest thing about what I do is not profitability or this or that or setting up the business and social media or this, that it's managing people, you know, hiring the right people, identifying who makes a good employee, getting them in the right roles, keeping them motivated. I mean, there's so much essential communication that, that takes place when you're keeping someone on your team. Um, are there any practices that you guys have kind of put into place that you feel have helped you like manage people well? I would say we already, the two of us believe in over-communication. So the culture at our company is like, you should assume nobody's listening to you and you are over-communicating your comings and goings because then there's less, oh, they did that or they didn't intend to do that. Like over-communicate at all times. So I would say there's like different eras of mine and Jenny's hiring and managing Mm -hmm. and you know, we started this when we were 21, 22. We're women. We're 21, 22. The imposter syndrome is real. We feel like even though we're paying people, like how could we possibly ask them to do things that we aren't doing ourselves? And we had to like break our backs to say, like, we'll do this too. That was an era, right? The the like, I'm doing it with please, you. Please, like, please, please era, I guess. Yeah. And then like, yeah. and then there's the era of like, okay, this can be a democracy. We're really approachable. Tell us all your thoughts all the time. And then that era ended because that's not real. Like there's a quote. Yeah. There's a quote from Mindy Kaling where she talks about the first time she became a showrunner, how she as a writer was like, I'm going to run my rooms differently. And then when she finally got that position of power, she tried to actually employ that level of like, everybody gets to share their opinions, rewielding all the time. And she was like, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so while we feel that we're very approachable still, like, we are now older. We've been doing this for a longer time. And it's very much like we are setting the tone and setting the pace. And there's an air of kind of like, I don't know. It's just a little bit more of a mature. There's still over communication, but it's very much like we've been doing this for a while. We do feel really confident what we're doing and we feel really confident in the choices that we're making. And so I don't know. I don't know if that's an eloquent way of saying it, but there's definitely. I love it. It's an era's tour. It's an era's tour. (laughs) Because I will say like, your husband is probably in this group, but like there is a very small subsect of our country that manage businesses of a certain volume privately and have to, again, it's like your character when no one's watching type of stuff. We're not Marissa Meyer from Yahoo where we're on scrutiny on a public stage all the time, but we are on public stage to our employees and our investors and our board and our partner vendors and the people we work with on a daily basis. And so you're only as good as you are good. And it's really, he's right. Like it's very, very, very hard. And like, what I guess what I'm getting at is like, when you're in that very specific subsect, like the business is personal, if that makes sense. And like, as much as we try to be stoic and whatever, like we are human and we are dealing with these types of challenges on a daily basis. And we try to employ the most 
empathy that we can and also make choices that are right for the business, but also choices that are right for the human. And it is so hard. It is so hard. It's so hard. And so much personal pressure. Like with COVID, when we had shut down the restaurants, I just remember like seeing Andrew, like the weight on his shoulders. He's like, I have 500 employees that I have to furlough. He's like, there's no way we'd have to close our doors forever. He's like, I have to furlough them. So they were just trying to think like, what can we, what can we do? So they took like, we have all this inventory of food. And Andrew like literally was in the kitchen, like packaging up sandwiches and boxes and stuff. And he's like, I'm just going to at least give them to my employees and their families to give them something, you know, to try to help. Cause he's like, I can't handle this, like this guilt, you know, and, and sense of responsibility for so many people. It's a level of responsibility that you can't prepare for that. You can't explain. Like I love some of our friends and our family and people in our family so much, but they will never, ever understand the weight of that responsibility. Like COVID, there was a time, there was like a month and a half, there were some of our older staff were hospitalized and it was horrible. It was the guilt that we were feeling was horrible. And then like, now I look back and it's so silly. But like, I was like, are we going to get in trouble from the police for keeping our fulfillment operations going? Or is like that not like appropriate and PC to keep our warehouse going, even though we're taking all this. It was awful, horrible, horrible time. Because you just were like, I want to keep everything going. But like, I also want to do right by you. But I also don't want to be like put on the stake publicly. Like for, yeah, I don't know. It was weird, weird time. Well, and it's like you're and you're kind of that that small, not small, but like me, not mega size company. You're in the middle somewhere. So you're sort of like, I'm so accountable to my community you know, and people around me. And I like have personal relationships with every, I I know everybody that works for me, you know, where some companies, it's not that way that the sense of responsibility can feel, I feel like is often um, almost even greater because you have that, that warm touch with everyone on your team. I think I honestly, I'm like, if we have time for it in the future, I'd love to have you guys back on to really dissect like so many of these areas of entrepreneurship of starting your business, running your team, and everything. So maybe we actually schedule that for a later time. If We'd you guys love have that. It. I just feel like the resources out there are not honest enough. Yes. Like it's yeah. not real. Like, and I'd love to talk about the intricacies of all this. Okay. Nobody yeah. ever wants to talk about the unsexy stuff, but that's the day to day. And like, take the terminology out of it. You'd be like, oh yeah. Like, you know, I figured out my like business had to be set up this way. So I called an accountant and I asked them these questions, you know, and like, how did you actually do it? Not like, oh, we do this version of the, you know, yeah. it's it. I think especially with social media and Gary Vaynerchuk and all these like, great people, you know, that talk about entrepreneurship, it can feel a little like sexy and glitzy. And like, if you make it, it's great and all great all the time. And you're fancy and rich and all this stuff. But it's like, not mm-hmm. always, you know, and like, let's talk about that yeah. because it's still fulfilling and worthwhile. Um, before we jump into our little fast five questions. When it comes to working together, you know, your relationship, like you're together all the time. You have to be able to like turn on your friendship switch and turn on your, you know, working switch and everything. How have you managed kind of just working together? Have you guys ever had hard moments of communication you had to get through? How do you kind of manage your working and personal relationship together? Yeah, it's definitely a unique relationship because we do spend so much time together. Our lives are so intertwined at work, but also since we're best friends, even before BoxBox, our friendships, our networks are very, very similar. So we spend a lot of time together, like at work and not at work. I think like we just 
got to like a sister level so early on where it just feels so sisterly in the way that well, we can just speak our minds to each other and there's just forgiveness. But in general, we just have a really great relationship and we work so well together. But I think we just feel on such a sister level. I think it's hard on Chelsea's husband, my boyfriend too, because of like how much we're always talking, talking, talking. And it's so easy to just talk forever about box box that we're just figuring it out. We definitely have had our challenges. I think like when we learned to over communicate, that was like an, a game changer for us like five years ago, because our communication styles are different outside mm-hmm. of that. And that was really helpful, like to get on the same page. And we always think about this like at work. It's like it's like a marriage, like the the kids can try to split, you know, tell so and so that so and so said this. But like we are so like I know exactly what she would do, what she wouldn't do, what would piss her off, what wouldn't piss her off, like. Mm-hmm. And so that's really helpful. And we also, it's always helped since the beginning. Like we very specifically have the same shared vision of like what we're doing here and why we're doing this. And kind of like, you know, it wasn't like for the growth or the glam or this, you know, going public one day or like that wasn't what we were in it for. And we're both, I think, have similar personal values in in that regard and how Box Fox kind of ties to us as individuals. And so that I think really helps too. I don't know if I could do this with anyone else in our lives like this. And a lot of times people ask, like, how do you find a co-founder like that? And I'm like, I kind of think it's just like dating. Like, it just happens. If that friendship and that relationship develops into something that can sustain that, that's great. And a lot of people can't find that. And it's really hard to find. So we're really lucky. It's like you can feel when it's not working. And then I feel like the things that really do work, it's like you actually end up looking back and you're like, Oh, wow. Like you realize later because it's just you're in it, you know, and it's then it's moving and working and you don't have to like question it all the time. So Sabina was one of your she is one of your co-founders. What's kind of that relationship now? Are you guys mostly just the two of you working together or how did that kind of evolve with three people? Yeah, Sabina, I think in 21, 2021 kind of just felt called to kind of move on and work on other projects, which is totally fine. And at the time, her and her boyfriend were moved. They were moving to the Bay Area. There was just a lot of changes in her life, too. And so she no longer is involved in the day-to-day operation, but she's still a part of our board and she's still involved in that capacity. And as you know, we were at the place she's working now. We've actually done a lot of partnerships and worked together with Box Fox, which is really cool. And yeah, we still talk to her all the time. And we had dinner with her two weeks ago. We love Sabina and, you know, she's forever somebody who understands us on such a real deep level. And she was there for so much of the formative years of Box Fox. So we're so blessed that we still have such a great positive relationship with her, even if she's like onto other things. And I will say the quote you, you pulled from the beginning about we're a really technological world and that's the reason that. Uh, the world needs companies like Box Fox. She wrote that. She wrote a lot of the original copy. And so that's so funny that you pulled yeah. that one out because she she yeah. was adamant about including that. So sweet. I think that it's it's also good to hear like, you know, relationships evolve. You know, you can you can start and you can maintain good relationships and realize like, okay, like this is not for them or we did this thing together and now like this partner needs to go off and do this other thing. And I love sharing stories of women just being able to like support uplift, 
you know, and not necessarily have to direct each other. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's do our fast five before we sign off. Um, And that actually kind of leads me to the first one I picked. What is your favorite way to hang out together outside of work? Definitely probably just sitting on the couch with our dog and just talking, talking about the day. Love it. Sitting. Sitting and talking. (laughs) Sitting, talking, share dog. Do you have a morning routine? If so, what is it? I'm a, I'm a big morning person. So I'll go out into my garden and then go to the gym for work. I'm trying to be more like Jenny and my husband. And I, at least every morning, I have a nice coffee maker and I make a nice coffee and I ice roll my face and I try to walk, but I don't do it every morning. But at least I will ice roll and, and drink my coffee. Delightful. I did that this morning too. <laughs> for number three, what is your favorite curated box, box, box to send? I think the green goddess, that's like our luck kind of pamper box. It's evolved over time. It's a green color. It has really great brands in it. And it can be sent for a lot of different reasons. Birthdays, just because people having a hard time. It's, it's got a lot of uses. Yeah. And she's versatile. I think um, my favorite is our Merci box. And that's just, again, a really simple, small gesture that can be impressed upon a lot of different situations or even just because. I love it. And that little French, yeah, you're like wrinkle file side. Mm-hmm. Number four, what's the best or favorite part of being a Forbes under 30 list maker? Because you all were list makers in 2019, right? 2019, yeah. I think awesome. for us, we didn't spend a lot of money or time doing PR things. And so it was a nice little stamp of legitimacy that we could be like, see, all we were working on is not in vain. <laughs> For sure. You're like, everybody knows Forbes. Yeah, Yeah, it it has been a really incredible network to be a part of, to like feel this very alumni sense in the way of that. Totally. Sense of community. Uh, Number five, if your brand was a person, what would she be like? I don't know. I think probably a lot like a version of the two of us. It's a little bit of Sabina. Yeah. Just very fun and friendly and approachable. And everyone's invited. Everyone can stay with us. Likes to dress up, but I but also likes to slob down, you know. Yeah. Feel that. <laughs> and loves a handwritten note. Loves yeah. a handwritten note. Exactly. Okay. Well, we always close by asking a final question, and I'll ask it of each of you. What was one quality that you had as a young woman that maybe you didn't take pride in then, but that looking back, you're grateful for now? I remember my third grade teacher, Miss Smith, she really, really emphasized integrity and having personal integrity with us just over and over again throughout the year and just really always circling back to that lesson and always highlighting examples of myself and classmates when we demonstrated integrity. And I think that that is just something that stuck with me and something that's, that is so important to have while running our own business and managing this great team that we have and always getting back to our truths and and operating the business as best as we possibly can with as much integrity as we have. I would say I remember my dad very dramatically with dial-up internet challenging me to what asked me what the golden rule was and gave me like the day to figure out what the golden rule was. And like, I remember like looking in the encyclopedia at school and because I didn't have easy internet access and it's to treat others the way you want to be treated. And I think that that's something I didn't value as much back then, but it is something that is inherently day-to-day part of how we run the business and how we serve our customers. I love it. Well, with that, Chelsea, Jenny, this was such a treat. I loved having 
both of you in this conversation. I think it really added color to everything that you do at Box Fox, um, sharing that with our community, but also kind of like how you got there. I think it's such an interesting story. And we're so grateful to have you on. So hopefully we can do another one and we'll make it maybe like Entrepreneurship 101 as like a working session. That'd be so fun. We would love to do that. We we have so much to say and nowhere to say it. So please, <laughs> right. I'm your girl. <laughs> With that, where can people find you? What is your website? Where can they order? Where can they find your product? Everyone can find us at boxfox.com and they can order directly there or they can follow us at shopboxfox on Instagram or TikTok. Pick your poison. <laughs> Perfect. All right, ladies. Well, thank you so much again. We'll we'll talk to you soon. And thank coming. you so much. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?